grace and peace to you. You are about to hear a life-changing word from the Kingdom Church by one of God's end-time prophetic voices. And now, let's join the prophet, Bishop Demetrius J. Senegal. Well, grace and peace, and the Lord bless you. This is Bishop Senegal, and welcome to Kingdom Living. I'm so glad that you've tuned in to the Kingdom Living podcast today, and uh, I'm confident that our time together today is going to transform your thinking. I pray that your new year is uh, has started wonderfully, and if it hasn't, the question is, what are you doing about it? Making a commitment to have no more bad days is the start of having a good life because a good day is what produces good weeks. Good weeks produce good months. Good months produce good years and good years. Well, they produce good lives. And maybe you say, well, Bishop, I can't control everything that happens in my life. It's not realistic to say you won't have a bad day. Absolutely it is. It doesn't mean bad things won't happen. But I've learned to distinguish and separate bad things happening and not allow them to create a bad day or to create a bad outlook, a poor outlook on the rest of my life. Um, we, of course, last week we didn't have a podcast. We were experiencing some technical difficulties, so we are making up for lost time. Uh, prior to that, we'd been in a, a series of teaching on uh, discovering God's purpose for your life and understanding how purpose works and what purpose is. And uh, of course, in the last podcast, we kind of deviated for a moment and we talked about the pastor's perspective. I really want to encourage you that if you haven't heard that uh, last podcast, you need to listen to it in its entirety. Share it with your pastor. If you're a pastor, I promise you will want to share it with your uh, with your members. And so today we are continuing in the conversation of purpose. And uh, we're going to go into the next layer of that conversation and talk about uh, living in the will of God. As we have been uh, working through these podcasts, uh, we've been working to unpack and to reshape and redesign, transform, as it were, our uh, thoughts, our paradigms, uh, the definitions that we use when we consider the mind of God and we consider the word of God, because as I've shared with you on several occasions, it's quite possible to have one definition in your mind and think that your definition is God's definition. And then you work from your definition, which could be completely contrary and contradictory to God's definitions. Here's what he says in Isaiah, the 55th chapter and the eighth verse for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor my ways, your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And that's a difficult concept for us to grasp, uh, because once we reason within our minds that something absolutely makes sense. Then we go to work to dismantle any other possibility because the one you have concluded makes the most sense. 
So then the questions become like, why wouldn't God want me to do that? And, you know, well, God wants this and God desires that. So, of course, he would want me to do this. And then we force our reasoning on the mind of God. Well, here's the deal. You must understand that you come to the conclusions that you come to um, by and through the reasoning and the line of reasoning that your mind functions with. Um, so based on how you prioritize things, um, based on the way you, I mean, not just on a daily agenda sheet, I mean, in your life, the values of your life, um, the pursuits of your life, how you prioritize things will shape um, and fashion uh, your conclusions and you'll do the things that you do and you'll commit to doing them because you have defined them as good and it's possible for something to be intrinsically good but ultimately bad for you it doesn't mean that the thing is in and of itself bad but it means when mixed into the mixing bowl of purpose and your life, it throws off the whole batter. Um, it'll cause the batter not to rise, the batter of life. And so you'll be in a constant state of mixing and never really being able to bring your the dough of your life to rest. Hopefully, hopefully you can see that analogy there. Um, Ephesians, the first chapter. Ephesians chapter number one. Do me a favor. Um, hit the share button and share Kingdom Living Podcast with somebody else. As I say every week, I do not desire to be your best kept secret. And I do not want you to uh to keep this podcast as a secret i promise you there's some transformative teaching that uh, goes on ephesians chapter number one and verse number 11 says this in whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him look at this who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will and so as we begin to talk about um, being in the will of God, as we begin to take a look at this, I want us to bring definition to the various wills that are at work and in play. Now, I do not subscribe to the notion of quote unquote perfect will and quote unquote permissive will the ideology that says if you don't do what God wants you to do then God permits you to do what you want to do and it's not that God has permitted the thing it's that God has permitted you and I'm going to help you distinguish between the two things um, first John chapter 4 Verse 7 and 8 make something very clear to us. God is love. God is love. And because God is love, it's not just that God has love. It's not just that God does love, but he is. 
He is the embodiment of love. Well, the highest value to the love ethic, here's one of the wills, is free will. At the moment that free will is removed, then the opportunity to respond in love is removed because without the freedom to reject, then there really is no choice. And if there's no choice, then you're not loving, you are complying. So built into the love ethic is the value of free will. He loves you so much. Free will reveals the love of God. You've ever asked the question, well, why didn't God stop this person from doing that? And why didn't God stop this? And why didn't God? Because that's not the way that God works. In order to interrupt those things and those people and and put them, force them into his desire and his plan, he would have to remove the principal value to the love ethic, which is free will. And while we're running around asking God why he didn't stop all these other people from doing what they did, it's the same reason that God didn't stop you. Perhaps you weren't a murderer. Perhaps you weren't some extremist, a rapist. Uh, but if you pause and assess your life, I promise you, there were some places, and for some of you, there are at present some places that you are out of the will of God. So God doesn't permit the things to happen. He permits you. He's given you and I a permit, a permit for what? To be free, which does not deny that he has a will. What it does is confirm that he has a will by reaffirming that in his will is the desire for you to choose. He doesn't want to force you. There's there's nothing loving or powerful or uh, you know, God like about our God when it's force. Our God is is completely contrary to any other God. He's a king that's unlike any other king. He doesn't force you into submission. Uh, he yields himself to you. Um, he doesn't lord over you. He stands under you, undergirding you. And as a God, he loves you to him. He doesn't force you to him. So we have free will, free will. That's the will that you have. To be free, the right to be free, to choose. Choose ye this day who you will serve. Adam, listen, you can eat of that tree, but don't eat of that one. Choose. Behold, I set before you open door. God has always given us the freedom of will. The freedom of will is 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 what has humanity in the place that we are in. Not just negatively, positively, what makes us God's crowning jewel in creation is that he is a creator. We are creative. Couldn't be created without the freedom to conceptualize, the freedom to envision and dream, the freedom to journey, which also means the freedom to step outside of God's desired course for you. So free will. But free will is a subset of God's sovereign will. So we're going to do this, build this in layers here. God's sovereign will is what Ephesians 1 and 11 talks about. 
that God works all things according to the counsel of his own will. The sovereign will of God is God's ultimate will. It is the overarching canopy of intense desires purposes, plans, procedures, protocols. It is the will that serves as an umbrella uh, over all other wills. So we have at the height, sovereign will. And then we have free will. But then there's another will that God has, and God has a specific will for your life. But here's where it gets tricky. It's important that you be systematic in your theology. Systematic in your theology. I want you to remember that term, systematic theology. And when we talk about systematic theology, it is a, a way, a form of approaching theology that has at its center the goal to reconcile all biblical truths into a self-consistent whole. What does that mean? That means that nothing that the Bible says, when put in its proper context with proper interpretation, will contradict anything else that the scripture says. It reconciles itself upon and within itself in a self-consistent whole. So, you know, at any time that you are studying the word of God and you read something, you say, well, wait a minute, this looks like it contradicts something over here that I read. You've got to step back and reapproach the text and allow it to reconcile itself. Well, in the same way that our uh, approach to biblical revelation must be systematically reconciled, your approach to the will of God must be systematically reconciled. Specific will is God's desire specifically for you. What God wants you to be, what God wants you to have, where God wants you to go, when God wants you to go, why God has purposed you to be. That's God's specific will. But God's specific will for you will never cause you to contradict his sovereign will. His sovereign will, the will for his kingdom, his his existential primary purpose for the earth project God's sovereign will will never be in contradiction with his specific will for your life and this is a significant revelation that you must grasp because I see so many people who in the name of pursuing the will of God for their life their personal life the specific will for them specifically they contradict God's sovereign will. The purposes, the plans, the protocols, the the end goal for for God's uh, earth project. And it's a satanic plot. Watch this to cause you to focus in so much on your idea 
about God's specific will that you blur out the backdrop of God's sovereign will. See, that's the danger of uh, focus. Focus is a two-edged sword. It's it's necessary and excellent to focus if you're going to uh, complete anything of great means. But when you focus in on something, what's in the periphery, what's surrounding it, what's on the outside of it goes out of focus. It begins to be blurred. And one of the most dangerous things that you can do is get so focused on what you want when you want it why you want it, how you want it, that you lose focus, you blur out the sovereign will of God. And it doesn't even have to be that you want something that is bad. We've got to do the the linguistic work, the work of language to understand what good is in the mind of God, what bad is in the mind of God. Because something could be in and of itself not bad, but be bad for and to you because it brings you into conflict with the sovereign will of God. It brings you into conflict with the sovereign purposes of God. It's not that it was bad. It was bad for you. Because it brought you into conflict. Are, are, are you grasping this? And, and I'll, I'll continue to build this picture because I want you to see the image of how easy it is to put God's specific will for your life at odds with God's sovereign ultimate will. And the enemy, he gets, he gets much delight out of it. The idea that you genuinely believe you are in the will of God because you're doing something good. Perhaps the good is, you know, this job paying seven figures with benefits opens up for you and they're ready to hire you. But you got to move all the way to China to do it. The job is not bad. It can be bad for you if God's ultimate will says, I need this in this particular city. And his specific will is for you to supply the need for his sovereign will in a specific city. But you've moved to China. Well, you have now come into conflict over something that is good. Uh, perhaps, uh, what, 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 what is another example? Perhaps, you know, you want to be a biochemical engineer. That's good. You get a scholarship to go to UT. And that's good. But God's will specifically for your life is for you to be an attorney because his sovereign will requires that his people and his agency in the earth have people who know how to go into the legal system of Babylon. So his sovereign will is, I need my system, my agency, my people to be able to move in and out of this worldly system. His specific will is you be the one who can lead them in and out of this earthly system. But you're pursuing something good, but it's bad because it brings you into 
conflict with both the sovereign and the specific will of God. Are you understanding this? Matthew, the sixth chapter and the 30. Uh, let's start at verse number 30. Matthew chapter number six. Don't you turn this off uh, because I know it's going to challenge the way that you approach your life. And listen, if your time spent listening to teachings such as these don't challenge your thinking, then, then you're wasting your time. If all you hear in in moments of teaching are things that you already know, I don't know how beneficial that is to you. So look at, um, matter of fact, let's go further back than verse 30. Go to verse 25, Matthew 6 and verse 25. Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? All right. So here, Jesus, he's, he's challenging logical reasoning. What do I mean? Because logical reasoning says that in order to live, I must eat. Right. And I must drink. Take no thought for your life. Don't think about what you should eat or drink. Logical reasoning says I must eat or I must drink. Jesus challenges logic and says, is not your life more than meat? So he says, do, do you think that what is primarily keeping you alive is what you eat? Or, or, or are you thinking that what, you know, makes up your body is, is what's on it? The skin, the clothes that you put on. Jesus's focus here in this discourse is to bring the focus back to God's engagement from eternity past in the life that you now live, that you have the life you have, not because of what you eat. What you eat is a part of of God's order for sustaining the life that you already have. The food doesn't give you life. It sustains the life. It is God that gives you life. So he says, listen, the life, life is more than meat. <laughs> life is God's is what he's saying here. Verse 26, behold the fowls of the air. For they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are not you much better than they? So again, he's he's doing as any good teacher would. He's beginning with several truth statements. He says, look at the birds. They don't do anything. They don't sow. Uh, uh, they don't reap. They don't gather into barns. But your father ensures that they eat. He feeds them and you are higher than they. Look what he says in verse 27. Which of you, by taking thought, the implication here is by worrying, by, by, by obsessing. Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to your height? So then why take you thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Jesus here says to them, listen, um, these day-to-day -day worries are the thing that keep you out of the dimension of faith. 
You know, we think faith is just about the major stuff. Chronic illness, you got faith to be healed, financial situation. No, your faith is demonstrated in your day-to-day life. Are you worrying about the little small things that, I mean, you can change anyway? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? Clothes and food, what am I going to eat? You know, perhaps you're in a financial challenge and you're worried about food. You're worried about drinking. Not that you're, and I want you to understand the emphasis is on the word worried. You're anxious about it. How am I going to provide? How am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? And Jesus says, when you start thinking like that, you are operating out of faith. Now, your mind would tell you, no, I'm just being logical. And indeed, often logic brings you out of the realm of faith, which is a dangerous place to be in because without faith, Hebrews, the 11th chapter, it is impossible to please God. Then look what he goes on to say. Verse 31, therefore, take no thought saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or wherewith shall we be clothed? For after these things do the Gentiles seek. Now, why would Jesus talking to these Jews employ a comparison with Gentiles. Number one, Jesus knows it would it would offend them. It would shock them into attention because Gentiles were not a people who the Jews wanted to be like. Uh, you know, think of the worst possible element of your society. And someone says, that's the way these people act. Well, it would jar you because you don't want to be compared to them. So Jesus here says, listen, The Gentiles think like that. Who are the Gentiles? People without a covenant. People who had no covenant with God. You and I have a covenant and a contract with God. So watch this. I don't have to spend time worrying or even asking him for it because it's included in the covenant. I don't have to ask for what already belongs to me. I have to by faith receive it and then lay hold to it. For your your heavenly father knows that you have need of these things. Verse 33, but seek ye first. So here now, Jesus comes to the head of all that he has said at the beginning of of chapter number six he teaches them how to pray after he teaches them how to pray even in the prayer the prayer teaches dependence on god our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily so 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 he he even in his, his teaching on prayer it brings them back to dependence on god and then his discourse after prayer is listen do the birds do what you're trying to do? Do the flowers worry like you're worrying? Are they good? Are they taken care of? Are you not higher than they? Are you not more significant than they are to God? Then if he takes care of that which is lower, then by the law of order, he will and has made provision for you. But seek ye first. So after going through all of that, he says, but here's the deal. Here's what you need to put in order. You got to put your priorities in order. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. 
and then all of these things will be added unto you. Take therefore no more thought for tomorrow. For tomorrow will take care of itself. Jesus says, here's the solution. Put your priorities in order. We're talking about understanding the will of God today. You have free will, but free will must not be what drives you. Free will must be the vehicle, not the driver. I must say it again. Free will must be the vehicle and not the driver of the vehicle. Free will must be the vehicle that you use to get to the place that God has specifically designed you to be in. But who and what must be in the driver's seat is the sovereign will of God. I hope you're getting this. This is this is good. I mean, this is this is powerful. So free will is the vehicle. See, if I didn't have free will, then I would not be able to carry out the edicts and the instructions, the desires of God in a dimension that is a dimension below the heavenly dimensions in which flesh, our bodies are the most prominent forces. So he gives me free will to be able to transact business in an environment, a dimension that requires free will to be able to move throughout it. God's whole purpose, his whole plan, his original intent is for the reconciliation of a people that will choose him as their king. I want you to pause and take a look at your life and, and really answer the question. Don't don't give yourself passes and don't let your logic and reasoning kick in because I'm a good person and I've got a good pause. Is God your king? And before you answer that. Here's the test. What tells you what to do? Huh? What what is it? What is it that decides what you do? Is it your financial situation? Is it your family situation? Is it your personal ambitions? Because if so, he may be your savior, your lord, but he's not your king yet. Being a citizen of the kingdom of God is not a convenient commitment. It's a covenant commitment. Go to Matthew chapter 19. Let me show this to you. Matthew chapter 19 and verse number 16 says this. And behold, one came and said unto him, good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So look at what he says. What good thing? Logic would say, well, of course, that's that's what God wants. He wants you to do good things. But now the question is, what is good? That's that's the question. What is good? 
Jesus tells us what it is in Mark, the 10th chapter and the 18th verse. He said, why callest thou me good? No one is good except God alone. He was really challenging their thinking because they were denying that he was God. And he said, well, you're saying that I'm good, but the only one that is good is God. So if I'm good, I must be God. And you must distinguish that what is truly good is that which is God. And if it is not God, then it's not good. It doesn't have to be bad. I want you to come out of the dimension of good versus bad. And I want you to come into the dimension of good versus God. Because everything that is God is good, but everything that is good is not necessarily God. If you define good by how it works with your plans, how it makes things easier, how it makes things feel in the purest sense of the definition of good, then yes, good and God are are inseparable. They are intrinsically connected. This this is this is powerful teaching. OK, Matthew 19 uh, or where were we? Where were we before <laughs> we went to uh, to Matthew the the nineteenth chapter? Um, oh, we were in Matthew the the sixth chapter, right? Talking about putting your priorities in place. I got to be careful. I'll get caught up and uh, you know get off on a bunny trail. So go to Psalms chapter thirty seven. Psalms chapter number 37. I really hope you're catching this today in your spirit and that you feel the release of the Holy Ghost to come up into a higher plane of consciousness. Psalms 37. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land and verily thou shalt be fit. So doing good is intrinsically connected and trusting in God. I can't be doing what is good and I'm out of faith. But that's not where I want to stop. I want to look at chapter number uh, or verse number four, line number four of Psalms 37. Delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. So we think that that means, you know, uh, uh, if I please God, then he'll give me what I want. And so then we get into this works-based race to do the things that we think to, that will please God in order to manipulate God into giving into our will. That's not what it means. Remember, your free will is the vehicle. Specific will is the destination. Sovereign will should be the driver. When the word says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. What, what David has here a revelation of, he has a revelation that when I'm truly delighting in God, when it's God that brings me joy and God that is the source of my happiness, then I allow him to give me the desires. In other words, he puts in me what to desire. It's not that my desire manipulates him but it's that he puts his desires in me and i begin to want what he wants he will give me the desires that should be in my heart i want you to pause and run an assessment the desires that you have that you're pursuing the things you're chasing 
Did he put them in you or did life put them in you? Or is it you that has put them in you? Well, how do I know? Again, we got to do that systematic theology. We, we, we got to reconcile some things. Is it working for your your idea of God's specific will for your life? What you think it should look like, but bringing you into contrast with God's sovereign will. You know, you say, you know, I have people all the time tell me God tells them to do stuff. And then they're rude and nasty. They're dishonorable. They're disrespectful. They do it without any love, compassion, humility. I'm clear at that moment. God did not tell them to do that because his specific will to you will never bring you into contradiction with his sovereign will. And his sovereign will is is summed up in one word, love. A new commandment I give it unto you that you love one another as I have loved you. You can't tell me God told you to do something and he told you to be nasty. Told you to just start ignoring men and women of faith, men and women of God. No, but 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 your mind will reason within yourself. And people do that in the name of I got to do what God told me to do. As a pastor, I have people, you know, that that over the years have left the church. And many of them come to me and say, well, the Lord, the Lord told me to leave. And some of them. Well, matter of fact, let me rephrase that. Not many of them, because most people that leave a church, they don't even talk to the pastor about leaving. Uh, but some that do, they'll take the cowardly way and they'll send an email, a text message. And uh, say, the Lord told me my time was up or it was time for me to go. And then I may say to them, well, come and sit and have a conversation with me. And they won't come. They'll ignore. They'll be disrespectful. They'll start making little nasty comments to people, dropping seeds in people's mind. At that point, I'm clearer than ever. God did not tell you to do that because nothing God will tell you to do will bring you into a conflict, a standoff with his sovereign will. I want you to assess the things that you've been doing. The choices you've been making, the moves you've been making. Have you made those choices and moves and decisions with the proper order of the wills? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So he has a right way. His righteousness is not necessarily your righteousness. What you think and can reason is right does not necessarily, is not necessarily what God says is right. Proverbs 21 and 2 says a man does what they think is right in their own eyes, but God weighs on the heart. He goes on in the 14th chapter of Proverbs, 12th verse, and says, you do what you think is right, but it will eventually lead to death. That's what the enemy's ultimate goal is. His sovereign goal is to push you down the road of doing what you think is right, what you think is good. Because, hey, it's good after all. It's not a bad thing. And it ends in death, death of purpose, death of destiny, death of life in Christ. What is the value of God's will in your life? God's sovereign will, his specific will, and the free will that he has given you. What's the value you place on it? Because what you value, you protect, you guard. And when you value it, you understand how detrimental it would be to lose it. 
Saul had to understand it, but he learned the lesson too late. You remember that Saul is anointed king at age number 30 in 1 Samuel, the 13th chapter. And then the Bible says that shortly thereafter, God sends Samuel back to take the kingdom from him, to tell him, listen, the anointing has lifted off of you. Matter of fact, let's go there because I want you to see this. 1 Samuel chapter number 13. First Samuel chapter number 13. If you have not shared this uh, podcast, shame on you. Shame on you if you're keeping this to yourself. Shame on you. So in First Samuel 13, Saul is anointed as king. Two chapters later, go to, to chapter 15. Verse 27, as Samuel turned to go his way, he laid hold to the skirt of his mantle and tore it. And Samuel said to him, the Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel this day and has given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than you. Now, those are some strong words. Watch this. What happened that made Saul's life? All of a sudden lose its access to destiny. Go go back to the top of chapter number 15. Samuel said unto Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you to be king over his people. Same chapter now. Over Israel. Now, therefore, hearken unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus said the Lord of hosts. I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid in wait for him and came up. Now you go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not. Slay both man, woman, infant, suckling, ox, sheep, camel and ass. Saul gathered the people together and numbered them into Laam, 200,000 footmen and 2,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and laid wait in the city. And he said to the Kenites, go depart you down from the Amalekites unless I destroy you with them but look at this verse number eight so Saul goes to Amalek and he goes to war but look what it says in verse eight he took Agag the king of the Amalekites alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the sword but Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the oxen and the fatlings and the lambs and all that was here's that word good and he would not utterly destroy them but everything that was vile and refused that they utterly destroyed then the word of the lord came to samuel saying it repents me that i set up saul to be king for he turned back from following me and hath not performed my commandments and it grieved samuel he cried so here the word of the lord comes to samuel uh, comes to saul through samuel go tell saul i've anointed him to be king but here's what he must do first he needs to go and kill all of the amalekites do not spare anything utterly destroy i mean he was specifically explicit kill the women the children the babies the sucklings the lambs the fat the calf everything destroy it all don't don't spare anybody. Saul and the men go, and guess what they do? They spare Agag, but they utterly destroyed everything else. And that's how we do. We, we think we can rush past the part we disobeyed and highlight what we did obey. But I, but I did this. Partial disobedience is total 
or partial rather obedience is total disobedience. The Bible says Saul kept that which was good. Here's his reasoning getting involved. So then Saul, Samuel comes back to Saul and when Samuel, the prophet, gets in front of Saul, Saul in verse 13 said, Blessed are you, man of God. I did what the Lord told me to do. And Samuel says, Well, what then means the bleeding of the sheep in my ear and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord. So look at this. Look at what he said. He said, number one, the people did it. So Saul wants to elevate how what he has done will benefit those that are with him. So it must be good because it will benefit them. It's good, right? It's good to help them. He said, and, and, and besides that, we're going to offer a sacrifice to God. We needed this stuff so we could, we could be a blessing to the king. I needed to do this so that I could do this and be a blessing to the kingdom. I, 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 I needed to take that job or I needed to make that move. I needed, you know, to get into that relationship, that connection. I needed to tell that lie. I needed to do this, to do that. And Saul says, the Lord is sorrowful with you, Samuel. And this day, watch this now. Look at what he says. Verse 17. Samuel said, you did when you were little in your own eyes. God made you big. In other words, when you didn't trust your own reasoning that much, God made you the greatest over all of Israel. He anointed you, gave you an instruction. Verse 19. But when you did not obey the voice of the Lord, but you did what was good in your eyes, you did evil in the sight of the Lord. So look at this. Saul wasn't out whoring around. He wasn't sleeping around. Saul wasn't out doing anything wicked. But the Lord said what he did was evil. Because he elevated his personal idea of God's specific will and made it go into conflict with God's sovereign will. And then while he's doing all this reasoning with Saul about um, with Samuel about how he's going to give an offering to God and God's going to be pleased and it'll be okay. Listen, it's going to be okay. Saul Samuel says in verse 22, listen, the Lord has no interest in your burnt offerings and sacrifices. His interest is in you obeying the word. A burnt offering and a sacrifice was an act of repentance. Samuel was saying to Saul, listen, God is not impressed that you know how to repent. He wants you to obey. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Look what Saul, Samuel says to Saul in verse 26. Now, I want to show you this. Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return to you because the Lord has rejected you because you rejected his word and that God has anointed another. Verse 28, he's given the kingdom to another. Now, when Samuel prophesies this to Saul, he's talking about David. But watch this. David isn't even born yet. David is not even alive yet. So the word of the Lord comes to Saul 
and says the kingdom has been removed from you, but there's no visible sign. Okay, okay. All right, listen, I've got to stop there for today. We will continue a part two of this teaching. I, I want you to go back. I've given you a lot today. You got to listen to this again, and you have to share this podcast. My desire is that at the end of this teaching, you'll have such a hunger for the will of God that you'll allow nothing and nobody and no one to stand in your way from pursuing his will. I pray that our podcast today has been a tremendous blessing to you and uh, a blessing enough that you would share it with somebody and not just that kingdom living is a free ministry that we offer but perhaps you say bishop we want to support the kingdom living podcast we want to sow into it Uh, we've made it very easy for you simply text the word give to the number 832-905-9433 the word give to 832-905-9433 and you'll be able to give with using the secure server this has been kingdom living my endeavor is to teach you principles to master the kingdom kind of life it's time for us to regain and reclaim what god left for us as an inheritance and to live kingdom kingdom